This is mission.org. This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. As a 30-year career, being able to put my head on the pillow every night and know that we're doing it the right way and that we really are taking care of customers. Of course, things go wrong sometimes, but our heart and spirit is into it. And we love the space that we're in. We're musicians and engineers, and we truly really are as passionate about it as our customers. And therefore, it resonates back and forth. It's a really great recipe. When sales and marketing work harmoniously together and are in tune with the customer, oh, what beautiful music can be created. Our guest today is David Stewart, the Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Sweetwater. David's lifelong passion for music and sound engineering has fueled an incredible 30-year career at what is now one of the world's leading musical instrument and audio equipment retailers around. Tune into this conversation to hear more about David's very unique path into marketing and leadership and the dynamic approach to customer satisfaction that has made Sweetwater such a resounding success. Brightspot Content Management System enables marketers to launch in just 100 days. It efficiently manages marketing campaigns on mobile apps or updates investors on your corporate site, handling it all seamlessly. With over 100 plus different content types and templates, marketers can deliver a customized, relevant experience to your audience. Additionally, integrate your current marketing automations platform and SEO recommendations directly from your Brightspot content management system, simplifying tool management. Discover more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends. So um, it's cool, very cool to have you, sir, on the show. Um, you have a very cool background. I'm just gonna, uh, from, the, from the front, share that, you know, and your, your 30 year journey at Sweetwater is, is bound to be filled with some really interesting stories. So uh, I am very honored to connect with you. I love your path kind of from music and then the technology and, and recording and gosh, getting into this this business at such an early time, right, as at employee number 20. So these are things that excite me. What are some of the things that are kind of top of mind for you that you're like excited about right now in your in your role, uh, where the company's headed? Like what are some things that you're kind of most pumped about right now? Yeah. So I do like the idea that there's a lot of history here and a fabric to, to unwind a little bit. And there's, there's certainly things to, or lessons to learn in there. Uh, and then in a really general sense, like just for me personally, like I like traveling, I like to know how things work. I kind of have an engineering mindset. That's my degree actually never took a marketing class. And uh, so sports and I, I race cars as a hobby and photography and music. So those are the things that I, I really love in life. And then in the workplace, I really just try to think through everything in a sort of an operational lens. And I love that, uh, like even when 
we think about marketing, like we've built a team of marketers who also sort of like think in an engineering way, how to connect things up and do them at scale and automation and all of that. Um, and really excited about the, the journey towards better personalization and more engaged kind of marketing activities. We have just a long history of producing a lot of very rich content that I believe is powerful to our brand and helpful to customers. And I'm really excited about that. And then just in terms of Sweetwater in general, uh, we have a few new initiatives uh, that we've been embarking on. We've added band and orchestra instruments to our repertoire in the last six or eight months. And so we're in the process of spinning that up. And that's been a uh, you know, historically, like when I got here 30 years ago, we sold basically synthesizers, uh, keyboard based instruments. Uh, there was a technology around that called MIDI that probably we could talk about, probably don't need to. Uh, and then recording equipment. And then over the years, we've added we had guitars and then spun that up to a big thing for us. And then later added drums and spun that up and, and you know, some other not as big categories. And so now here comes this band and orchestra initiative, which we're excited about. So that's a big thing. And then also we're just right now beginning to launch a, a used gear marketplace, which is, uh, which we're pretty excited about too. Something you said that, that I do think is interesting. I want to zero in a little bit. And you talked about, you know, having marketers that think like engineers. And I, I really like that, that perspective. Mm -hmm. And you bring certainly an engineering mind to this because that's your background and the world that you're in. But is there any more to that that you can share around kind of how your team of marketers thinks or how they solve problems or things you've noticed in maybe encouraging marketers to think like engineers? That's a really interesting, yeah, I like that. Yeah, so there's a few facets of it. And so one is, how do you think about the customer journey end to end? Uh, just all the way through the whole cycle and how do you wire all of that up so it makes sense? Now, you know, that's not an exclusively engineering concept. Clearly, a lot of marketers do that type of thing. But inside of that, like we're trying to build systems around that that can help uh, either automate it or in some way make it less necessary to have manual hands-on things and then a really good, obviously, quality experience there. Uh, we have some 50 to 60,000 products that we sell online. Wow. So uh, as a retailer, and so clearly there's a lot of engineering around how we have to manage that, right? Like they are not all the same. They don't all have the same strategies behind them, so on and so forth. So how we might go out to, you know, a Google with that type of thing or all the various activities just around the products themselves, the content. Um, there really is just a lot of sort of engineering kind of concepts come in there or this idea, again, of uh, really thinking at a very highly detailed level, just all the way through the whole process with all the exceptions wired in and the weird, you know, idiosyncrasies that certain products may have. Yeah. So those that's a few things. Email lists, you know, again, it's very kind of engineering sort of mindset. So how did... How did this this love of music for you lead you to at the helm of, of marketing for such a really cool organization like Sweetwater? Because it seems like the through line was music for you mm -hmm. that somehow led you into a really beautiful career, 30, 30 years now plus there. Yeah. But what was the what was the genesis of that for you? Like what was the yeah, how did this what was the the thread? Yeah. So uh well the thread is for sure music and music production. So at a young age, 
I was a musician. I was playing in bands. I went on the road with bands. I got into, uh, again, I just always have had that kind of science and uh, engineering sort of mindset as well as a creative side. Uh, So I got into the production parts of it, the the sound, the lighting, all of that. I opened a recording studio. We were talking about that back in 1987. Uh, And that's an owner, a, a single person recording studio, which it was at the start. So you have an owner and an operator, like you have to know how everything works and how to hook it up. And then, you know, artists come in and you have to know how their stuff works too. And so it's just a lot of uh, technical know-how really helps that. And then inside of that journey, I began to think about other ways to, you know, to be employed, like, you know, what are some other things that I could do? Uh, And that ended up leading to working in a couple of different local music stores. So people would come in, I would help them. Here's how it works. Here's how to hook it all up. Here's how to make it go. Uh, And that was very interesting to me, the educational aspect of that. Like I really enjoy, you know, helping people and educating them. And uh, so (laughs) a little bit of a longer story behind it, but the short version is one day uh, I got a phone call from a guy that I had met in one of those local stores years ago, he was a representative for a manufacturer and he called me up and he said, Hey, there's this kind of interesting thing going on up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And it made me think of you. Um, long story short, I met with Chuck, the founder and, and the owner at that time. And it, it really was a good match. Like it made a lot of sense. Chuck was just like me, just a few years older version of me, you know, very geeky into the equipment, knew a lot about the equipment, like more than you would ever think for somebody who built a business that, you know, ended up being like well over a billion dollars in sales. Um, He, he really understood it. I really understood it. Uh, And so I did, I became employee approximately number 20. That is my employee number, but not precisely sure that it was exactly 20. Anyway, um, And uh, started in sales there over the telephone, which was a very different experience. And you have to remember, there's no web during this time. I mean, there kind of was an internet. This is 1992, 93. And uh, started selling and explaining and helping people over the telephone. Um, And then just as a person, one of the (laughs) small number of people in the business, like we were trying to get this thing ramped up. And so I was integral to that process all along the way and held a variety of roles uh, inside of this company, uh, including things like service manager for a time. Um, I, along with another person here, uh, we started a thing called Sweetwater University, which is a big training uh, initiative that we have for for mainly for new salespeople, Um, 13 weeks of training before we let them get on the phone with customers. I didn't have that, but we certainly, as we grew, saw the need for that. And and then eventually, you know, sales management and senior vice president of sales and really a lot of just helping salespeople here. We have a big sales staff. It's uh, over 600 people now. Oh, wow. Uh, Obviously, it wasn't back then, but that's a big part of the magic of when you deal with Sweetwater, which we can unpack more of that uh, if you want. But uh, the, the interaction with the salespeople, very highly qualified, very highly trained, very, very helpful um, to customers um, and is a real differentiator for us. So, you know, it's really not anything close to a pure play e-com situation. And it really is. That's in a, in a sense that uh, that sales engineer, that consultative, helpful relationship 
is kind of the linchpin. And then you put mm. this sophisticated marketing layer over the top of it to expand the reach and and help reinforce that. Wow. That's a lot of the magic. And then eventually on into chief marketing officer from there. But yeah. So for, for those, you know, outside of our world, I mean, all of us in the team, we knew we knew about Sweetwater and, you know, and a, a few of us are fans of the brand. Uh, but tell tell the world, you know, describe Sweetwater for those who don't know. Um, and you said you mentioned you oversee marketing there. But what is Sweet? Who is Sweetwater? What is Sweetwater? Yeah. So we're a music equipment retailer. So everything that you think of musical. So that would be the instruments and the production equipment. Uh, so microphones, PA systems, mixing boards, guitars, basses, synthesizers, accessories, uh, amplifiers, you know, all of that stuff is what we sell as a retail organization. And we've just had this idea from the beginning that we wanted to do it differently. Um, and some of that was spawned out of the journey that a few of us had personally building our studios. So I built a studio, as we mentioned in the eighties, and of course rebuilt it several times over the years, but, and then Chuck, the owner and the founder had also had those experiences and like what the market looked like to us was there was, there were certainly then a lot of, you think about it as brick and mortar, some people would call it a mom and pop type music stores who unless they were in New York or Los Angeles or maybe Nashville and Detroit and Miami, they they were pretty limited in the resources they had. Like they just didn't necessarily have enough business to support a high-end, nice recording studio. Maybe easier for them to support somebody playing a few gigs on the weekend. But Chuck and I were in a different place. We had already done all of that. And, and uh, anyway, so you've got that. And then you did have back then some of what we would call mail order, which is just hilarious to think about this now where you get a catalog, you fill out a thing, with a check and you mail it in <laughs> and someday products show up. It's just mind boggling to think about how far we've come. Um, and those, and if, you know, that turned in, of course, to more on the telephone catalogs with telephone operators to kind of handle calls and things like that. And so you sort of had these two extremes, you know, this one maybe highly resourced mail order operation who could do some volume um, but the really the individual customer care just was always severely lacking. Um, they they didn't put an emphasis on support, for instance, after the sale or anything like that. And then maybe on the other end, you had this sort of local where you could have a good relationship and people who were more invested in what you were doing, but they just weren't resourced to be able to be helpful. And in either case, it it, it wasn't it didn't really work. Like even the local business that cared about you, like they didn't even, they possibly didn't even have a sales force, a sales staff who could execute very well. Maybe didn't know the product. Like I knew more than they did by far. So anyway, what was their value to me? It was pretty limited, but they did care. And then, then the other end, they, it felt like they didn't care. Uh, and so our vision was, this can't be this, it cannot be this hard to do both. Like really a lot of inventory, competitive price, support before, during, and after the sale, knowledgeable people who really are helpful and add value um, and wire all that up to be one thing. And that was really what got Sweetwater started. And we just happened to be doing all of that in an era where FedEx and UPS were making things arrive faster and 
you know, pretty soon along comes the web and things like that, that we were really able to use to amplify all of that. And so we still see ourselves sort of in between those two concepts, right? Like you might have an Amazon on one end of the spectrum who's fantastic at logistics and execution, mm-hmm. but forget about getting any real help there right. with your equipment. Right. Like if you know what you want and know how to get like end to end and you really can make good decisions about the right things to buy, then, you know, there's a utility to Amazon, but in this high consideration, high passion space that we're in, it's it really is lacking. And then at the other end, you still do have some smaller shops around the country who are just as unresourced as they were back in the 90s. And so they are pretty limited in how much help they can provide or even how much inventory they might have. So here we are with, again, great inventory, great prices, fantastic expertise that we will bring extremely high attention to detail in customer service Mm -hmm. at every turn, uh, just making the experience as good as we possibly can. And then, you know, as I said, this kind of sophisticated marketing layer over the top of that, that helps expand that, I guess I would say, amplify that. So it seems like early on, you guys doubled down on customer experience and customer support. It's like, and I love you know, I said what I'm see what I noticed today is there are a lot of brands that didn't always double down in that way, and now they're having to really shift. Like, wait a second, like our customers are, they are way smarter. They are making their the velocity by which they move in and out of their loyalty to us is so quick, and so I'm seeing larger kind of titans of industry try to shift. But wait, we got to go back to double down on customer experience. We have to go back to the customer. We have to fall in love with that again. And a brand like Sweetwater, who really, in my opinion, looks like they stayed the course the whole time. So when the world changes, i.e., you know, the last couple of years, and when things, when technology arrives, e-com and internet, and it's like you're still very uniquely positioned to win as a brand because you're doubling down on the customer. Yeah, doubling down on the customer and in a really cool organic way with these 600 sales engineers who uh, can take that customer from possibly just something that feels like a mere transaction and get engaged with them on a one-to-one level. So we have always made approximately three to one outbound calls to inbound calls. So very proactive from the get-go. Now, back in the old days, you know, we were just finding customers. You know, nowadays they do show up a little bit more to the website and they buy things, but we're going to call them and get them into a, a conversation. And it turns out, like, even in this new generation of people who barely know that the thing they carry in their pocket is an actual telephone, and they don't want to maybe interact with that thing as a telephone very much. Like oftentimes we find when we get them on the phone and now here's this guitar player talking to another musician or guitar player, and they're just vibing on the whole passion of it. Mm. And this person really is truly trying to help them and has a lot of expertise to be able to do that. And so they can look forward to those phone calls and it's really exciting for them. And Oh, guess what? In this world where the, the, you know, the third party cookies and everything that's kind of drying up as a technology. Mm-hmm. Just imagine the first party data that we have from these individual one-to-one phone calls where the salesperson like literally knows the name of your dog because you willingly gave it to them. Wow. 
because you have a great relationship with this person and you trust them. And just think about the implications of that out into how we are trusted by our customers and so forth and what all that means. Not to mention the data they can collect. Right. How do you how do you do it at scale? How do you build a team of, you said several hundred sales engineers that yeah. are, yeah, that are really passionate about the space. And on paper, that sounds great. And at scale, how do you, yeah, how do you cultivate this across an or a sales org uh, and do it so well at scale? It is hard. Uh, and that in many ways is one of our key moats, if you want to think about it that way. Like we feel pretty secure into the future because we know how hard it is to do from the journey, literally decades of just gradually uh, growing that team in a very organic way, being very selective about who we hire, people who already have a bit of a pedigree or a background. And then we put this you know, plug this 13 weeks of training in, and then that's not the end. They keep doing training, literally, you know, 90 minutes to two or three hours every single week of training on new products and really do bring a lot of expertise to the table. And just one sales engineer at a time, we call them sales engineers. And I think a lot of that goes back to something that Chuck, the, the founder, said a number of years ago, uh, and it, it turns out it's very profound. He said, I don't really want to grow any faster than stacking one great customer experience on top of another. Wow. So we didn't try to do it overnight. We did it organically as we could. And we maintained, we always grew. Um, we've only ever had one year in our history where we didn't grow, uh, which was uh, 2008. Wow. And uh, of Understandable. Yeah. Right. So literally yeah. every other year we grow. 2008 was like minus 3%. I can't remember. And growing at the speed at which we can stack those great experiences up for customers via these fantastic, highly trained sales engineers. Wow. That is that is the magic, but that is not magic that you could turn around and recreate in a year. Like right. it, it took decades and you know, knowing what we know now, I'm sure we could do it faster, but it's still you gotta find the right people and that's huge. Get get them in the right mindset. I love, I mean, I love that. It, it's, it reminds me of a conversation I had with uh, Steve Robinson is a former CMO for Chick-fil-A mm. uh, randomly. And and to, to kind of peel back the layers of why Chick-fil-A was able to be so successful. And it was like this key through line, uh, just very similar, you know, to Sweetwater around not you know, having to explosively grow. And, and and I mean, they could have gone a lot of different directions. It was like, how do we make sure every interaction that someone has with our brand is incredible? And how do we take care of our individual, like our, you know, our store managers, et cetera. And they never deviated. And so what looked like a opposite thing of what other fast food chains would do, they, they did the opposite. They did a 180 on so many things. Now they'll cross 20 billion, you know, a year in top line. But you just see this, you know, someone and a brand like yourself where you just stick to these like table stakes of like taking care of the customer again and full and, and creating a culture where people are so passionate about what they're doing, you can make a huge impact at scale. So I see the similarity between the two brands in totally different industries, mm -hmm. but look at what's possible, you know? Yeah. And let me tell you, as a 30 year career, being able to put my head on the pillow every night and know that we're doing it the right way and that we really are taking care of customers. And it's not to say nothing ever goes wrong. Of course, things go wrong sometimes, but 
our our heart and spirit is into it and we love the space that we're in like you know we're musicians and engineers and we truly really are as passionate about it as our customers and therefore we it resonates back and forth it's a really great recipe so you've basically become a marketer at Sweetwater. It's like you joined Sweetwater, you've got exposed to all these different parts of the business. And along the way, you've become not just a marketer, but a marketing leader, you know, and, and an executive within this brand. So it's got, it's, I mean, what, what a, what a fantastic, you know, uh, land to, to learn and what a fantastic proving grounds. Like you've become a marketer at this. What is it like to become a marketer and a marketing leader while you're in the middle of growing something great? Like you didn't have to go to a hundred places. You actually stayed the course at one place yeah. and became a marketing leader and executive. And what's that been like for you? Yeah, it's it's fantastic and it it is an interesting story and and in fact sometimes I go to speak at universities and I tell the students like by all means get your degree in whatever you want to get your degree in and go down that path but doors are going to open for you if you're capable and maybe you think about walking through them. Anyway, that's a little different subject but yeah, what's it been at Sweetwater? Um you know, for me, most of the things have made sense along the way. This one made a little bit less sense initially, but, you know, I was the service manager for a time. I have a technical background. I do know how the insides of these things work. I can repair them, yada, yada. Uh, obviously, in the sales capacity, uh, knowing a lot about this very highly technical stuff, and then you add some skills to that, like, you know, good listening and anyway. And so sales came pretty naturally and sales management being a leader having to add that leadership layer. Um, the marketing thing is a little bit trickier because as I said, I, I literally never took a class in marketing. Um, so how in the world, like how does it make sense for me to be the CMO? <laughs> and how it makes sense for us is if you go back and you think about all of that organic growth and the way that we've done things, like the CMO, like, well, what are the things of value that I bring to the table? Probably we're going to assume and I'll just try to say it as humbly as I can, but we're just speaking like proofs in the pudding, probably some good leadership there. Uh, I certainly know the products inside and out, backwards and forwards. I know the customers. I've been one. I, I know their journey. I know what the challenges are. And then after so many years, I know Sweetwater and how we intersect with all of that. So that's a pretty rich body of domain knowledge that I can hire good marketers who are way smarter than me frankly, in marketing, like whatever it is, data analytics, digital marketing, uh, you know, Photoshop and photos. I'm a pretty good photographer, but like our photographers are way better than me. So all of those disciplines um, we can put in the right places around this leader who really deeply understands the market that they're going into. Are there other executives you've worked with as long as you've been there that have been with you that long? Close. Um, the current CEO started, uh, started, I don't know, eight or 10 months after I did back in 1992. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So really old. Uh, the current um, chief sales officer started, I don't know, six or seven years after I did. Okay. So that was in the 90s. Uh, There's a couple other people. Most of the C-level people, uh, not all of them, but most of them have been here more than 10 years now. Okay. Uh, so it is a place that people come and they stick around yeah. and, and we do try to take care of all the employees. Yeah. You, you think about the, you know, the trust and rapport that you must have built with the, you know, executives and the leaders that have been there, you know, that long. It's exceptional because you start to, you know, with, you start to kind of know 
almost like what the other person's thinking at that point, right? It's like, you're so ingrained. It's like, you know, if you pass the ball that yeah. way, he's got the shot. It's like, you've got this beautiful synergy. And a lot of executives don't have that. They're bouncing around. They have some time here, some time there. But yep. to grow up, you know, together in leadership and be a part of something special is awesome. Yeah, it is. Yeah. There's something I saw around this kind of 24-hour store, kind of shifting gears a little bit. There was something, a 24-hour store that Sweetwater installed in uh, in the Clyde building in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see the music industry kind of as this 24-hour business? Like, what's the, what's the focus? What are you learning about with this new store? Tell us about this store. Yeah. Uh, so you're right. A few years ago, we put this store in it's a it's a fancy vending machine is really what the mechanics of it are and uh, so we keep it stocked and we sell some music products out of there very small sampling of what we sell um and so the idea sort of spawned out of uh you may remember a few years ago when the uh the nexus tax laws were getting ready to be changed so you know rewind the tape five years and and at most mail order places or you know, we're shipping products into most states without collecting sales tax. And that's just the way the laws work. There wasn't anything funky about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so <laughs> we just always knew like, boy, there's going to be a point in time where, you know, this is going to have to change. Uh, it will be interesting to see which politicians really want to take that on. And, you know, anyway, controversial decision. But but uh, so then the Nexus law laws began to change and we saw that coming. And so there were a few things we did around that, but one of them was this idea of, okay, well, for sure, we don't want to try to open big brick and mortar stores all around the country. You know, first of all, there's a couple of, you know, pretty good sized competitors of ours that are already doing that. It's going to really dilute our ability to be able to bring the value the way we bring it. Um, Not to mention, it's just the writing was already on the wall that brick and mortar stores is just a huge operational, uh, depending upon how you want to look at it, you could be as dramatic as to say it's kind of a boat anchor to your bottom line. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's always true, but it can be. Anyway, so we knew we didn't want to do that. So, hey, maybe a way to do it is have stores in the form of these vending machines. Um, but really, it was more marketing. Like if if this is cool, then wow, come to sweetwater.com and, you know, there's 59,900 other products that you might be interested in. And so that's how that started to get off the ground. And we knew, again, the way we've done everything else, most everything else, a little bit slow uh, to just try to get our feet underneath us and understand how it was going to work. And, you know, do we want to try to recreate this? Is the ROI going to be good enough? You know, then here comes COVID and like, okay, well, that's a whole different lens through which to think about things. Uh, and so we've just not so far taken that uh, to the next level. Like for us, it's a chess piece. It's on the board. Mm. It may make sense to deploy it in a wide scale basis pretty soon. But we have other things that we've been working on that uh, we think are going to have a much bigger ROI than that would. Are there any other experimental things you can share that you're up to that are exciting on the horizon? Uh, I don't know about experimental, but a couple of our big initiatives uh, currently, I mentioned the band and orchestra instruments mm-hmm. and this idea of a used gear marketplace, which we're launching right now. And that has been experimental for years. Okay. We have had a Craigslist style used gear place as part of Sweetwater.com literally for decades. I mean, literally going back into the 90s. Didn't get a lot of marketing. Just here's this thing. 
mostly for sales engineers to direct customers to like, yeah, I would love to buy that new thing, but I've got this old guitar sitting here. I need to sell it. Oh, well, hey, you know, here's a way. Uh, so now we're really going to ramp that thing up and it's going to be a full on with the financial transactions in the way that like an eBay or something like that works uh, around used gear. So we're super excited about that. A lot of work's going into that. I'd love to, if you can think of your, think of your 30 year journey at Sweetwater and think about a time when you, yeah, you faced like a crucial moment in your career as a leader, right? There's this kind of sort of, it's kind of a make or break situation or, or an opportunity. And then I want to kind of under, un, understand like, what was that? Because to me, again, 30 years, gosh, that's so many lessons learned. I'm sure there's a couple favorite failures in there, you know, but what's something that stick out as like a really key moment for you, if we could unpack that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So it's going to require a little vulnerability here. <laughs> Indeed. So uh, I actually did a stint in marketing back in the late 90s. The department, at least when I started in there, was very, very small, just a handful of people. And by the time I left, it was maybe two handfuls of people. And so, you know, what happened was, and I don't remember all of the circumstances around this now, but basically uh, we ran in, I'll just say it this way, we ran into air quotes. I don't know what that really means, but um, sort of one of those kind of gunslinger kind of marketing experts who had really done a lot of you know, fairly amazing things, right? So a very highly credible person. Uh, so the uh, CEO and founder um, decided to bring that person in. And, you know, the idea was that person would run marketing, right? So, okay, well, hey, wait a minute. I thought I was running marketing, right? So we've many people have dealt with situations like that. Um, but boy, that really did cause me to have a major evaluation of my life, right? Like how do I really bring value to the table as an executive or a marketing executive? And, you know, what sorts of things should I do to be that guy, you know, kind of the more maybe linchpin and just all kinds of stuff. And I uh, probably like a lot of people would do, I started looking at other opportunities. I had a, a variety of things that were sort of coming together. And I, frankly, I just didn't feel good about any of them. Like they were good on the surface. They were, they would have been good gigs in charge of a lot of stuff, making good money, yada, yada. But I just felt like, no, there is a special sauce here that's great. And I would hate, and I know it, like I, I just know this stuff like the back of my hand. So let's find a way for me to uh, add more value. Anyway, long story short, uh, we found a role for me in the sales department as being one of what at the time were three sales leaders. And I just sunk my teeth into that and took those hard learned lessons of, you know, don't get, not that I was complacent, but you really do as a leader have to truly bring value in every phase, like to the employees, to the customers, to the company. And so I really worked on that a lot on myself as part of that journey. And that was turned out to be a great, great, fantastic thing. Like within a few years, I was the senior vice president of sales and our sales were just growing like crazy. And, you know, we, anyway, there's just a lot of different kind of training and interactions with sales management that I sort of helped wire up back in the day. And anyway, it was just a really great experience and got to, as a result of making what I think was a wise decision, got to stay strapped to this rocket ship mm -hmm. uh, and help drive this thing to the moon. And then funny, full circle, you know, six years ago, Chuck said, um, 
how would you like to be the chief marketing officer? And, you know, there were some circumstances around that, but it was really uh, another great opportunity and sort of a second time, if you will, of being in charge of that. And that's been fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's something interesting that you're saying there is just the, the lesson in, I mean, I think you could have been disappointed and taken that in a whole different, you could have gone a whole different area. Instead, you double down, you know, how can I, you know, learn from this experience, double down on this, and then here we are, you know, fast forward to all these choices you made along the way where you could have taken it personal or taken offense and said, okay, you know, I'm sure there were moments in your 30 year career there where you might have said, hmm, I don't know, is this, is there something else, right? I'm sure we have those moments, but yet you've, yeah, these been key, key opportunities that you've said yes to, which has opened up some amazing doors. So that's so cool. Right on. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get into some fun lightning round questions. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. So let me give a quick shout out to our sponsor for the show. Uh, Salesforce uh, brings marketing trends, the show to the world. So thank you, Salesforce. And for marketers out there, when you think about marketing and engagement coming together, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. Okay. First question. Can you tell us something you love about Fort Wayne, Indiana and something you love about Louisville? Yes. Um, so, right. I was in Louisville for many years before I came up here in 1982. And so for me, Fort Wayne, it's just the quintessential Midwestern, you know, city, smallish city. Uh, and I really do like the size of it and uh, how easy it is to get around and truly how nice people are here. And the niceness maybe contrasted with some other areas I've had some experience with. It's not fake. Like it really is like there's just genuinely good salt of the earth people. And I love that. And, uh, and then with Louisville, of course, I grew up mostly in Louisville, uh, moved there when I was pretty young. And uh, so that's, that's where all my family and friends are. And that's a great town too. It's a, you know, definitely a bigger town. Um, but for me, the, the main appeal to Louisville over all those years is just, that's home. That's where my people are and still have lots of friends there. Yeah. Okay. First live concert. Van Halen, 1978. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How about that? Ah, oh, that's it. That is, I mean, that's like a full stop mic drop. Okay. We can just end the conversation right there. Um, okay. Van Halen, 1978. What was your last live concert? Uh, let's see. Just saw Tears for Fears recently on this new tour. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. And then this, this might be a tough one, but I got to ask last concert, first concert, What's been your best live concert? Uh, boy, I'll tell you that Van Halen show was amazing for, a, I mean, I could just tell, I remember so much about it and I could tell some great fun stories if we had time, but, uh, I will say one that really stood out to me, uh, this was probably in the mid to late eighties somewhere, um, a sting show. This was a couple of years after he'd left the police and, okay got to the venue late and I, and I really literally said inside my head, like, why are they playing sting recordings for a sting concert? And of course, then I walked in and, oh no, that's, that's the live band. <laughs> wow. Okay. It was so good. Okay. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is, what is one life lesson you learned the hard way? I would probably go back to that experience with the, uh, you know, the marketing gig a number of years ago, like this okay. lesson about being just the the value of tenacity and sticking with something, mm -hmm. you know, not giving up um, and loyalty and all of that. Yeah, that was a good one. Okay. 
What's one activity that makes you lose track of time? Oh, for sure. It's music. I can sit down with a guitar or a keyboard and just, you know, look up hours later and it feels like it was 10 minutes. If you could choose one album as a mandatory album for all high school students, which album would you choose? Boy, that is super tough. Um, <laughs> now, I don't know if this is the right answer, but I was just thinking about this the other day. I was listening to Boston's first album. Okay. And I just thought to myself, this is the quintessential rock album of the era. Like it just, it just had all the great, you know, great vocals and, you know, Les Paul guitars through Marshall amps and mm -hmm. uh, great songs. And it was kind of poppy, but like mu it's credible to musicians. Like there's really some serious musical substance to it. And uh, I, I don't know, I'd have to think more to impeach that one. And I probably could, okay. but that's, that's an outstanding one. Okay. All right. Um, what is something that you are betting on for the future? Could be like personally betting on this thing or professionally betting on this thing, but what's one thing you're betting on for the future? Yeah, it probably is sort of personal, but I, I still bet on humanity, uh, uh of people are just fundamentally good and, and want to be connected and do good things and lift up society and culture. And I don't know, I just feel like we're in a time right now where there's an awful lot of squabbling and controversy and branding about being, you know, enraged about something. And I just really want to see humanity, the good parts of humanity rise back to the top. And I believe in that. Mm, I agree with you. If let's say you have to hypothetically but realistically, build a marketing team from scratch tomorrow. Let's say tomorrow the whole team's gone, they've gone on to different things, and you've got to hire, make your first hire at Sweetwater. What's the role you're hiring and why? I suppose a recruiter would be uh, <laughs> so, a cheat. So, <laughs> so there's the... No one has said that. That's a great answer, by the way. No one has said recruiter. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah, that would... That would be a good need. Uh, no, I think uh, in terms of marketing discipline uh, for a larger company... Uh, it would need to be a really good digital marketing specialist with a data analytics background who can communicate. If it was a smaller company, though, I think I would probably lean towards like a, a salesperson almost mm. who can communicate really effectively in writing and, and in other mediums. Okay. Um, there's been a lot of brands, a growing number of brands that are exploring the potential of virtual worlds, mm -hmm. Web3, Metaverse, all the things. What do you make of this? It is really intriguing to me. Um, I do think there's a tendency of marketers oftentimes to run to the sort of shiny new thing. And oftentimes those things end up disappointing us or they just don't really get long-term traction. Um, so I love the idea of, uh, I don't know, the long tail of efficiency and optimization. But that is one technology that I would love to see really succeed I would really love to see something happen that helps people have more confidence in buying online. I just think the online buying experience in many categories is still like, I'm sorry, I just want to go see it in person. And until online can, can overcome that, like it's going to be hindered to an extent. Hmm. If you had access to a time machine, where and when would you go? Oh man. Darn it. I have to give you two answers. Uh, you know, I would want to see how the future is going to pan out. So some hundreds of years drop me in an area where there's commerce going on. But I will tell you, 
I would be so fascinated to just sit in the room, be a fly on the wall for bands when they're getting started. You know, yes. Boston, Led Zeppelin, Van Halen, Journey, yes. Heart, pick one to just be there when they were scrapping, driving around in a van, you know, arguing over what the logo should look like or whatever <laughs> it all was. Like what really happened in in there uh, at the beginning would be so cool. Wow. So what is at this stage of your your life and your career, what is success for for David Stewart now? Yeah, it's it's really about bringing value mm. uh, to to people, to employees, to obviously that includes customers and and those are the definitions of success that I have. I mean, I have my own personal goals and and there's financial goals in there and things like that too, but uh, in the big picture like I just want to bring value to people. Mm. What's your favorite app on your phone? <laughs> well, uh, I am embarrassed, I guess, to say that if I was to go by my screen time app, my favorite app is Facebook. Okay, okay. Um, but it's not really my favorite app, truly. Uh, I, there's a little Moog synthesizer app that I have on my phone. Moog is a brand who literally dating back to the early 1970s was making synthesizers. And there's a really cool app that I can really get lost in on there. Okay, okay. Um, what is one skill that you think everyone should have? Truly listening with the intent to understand and not just respond. Like really getting back behind the words to the motivations and the needs that people have. Uh, and that's all part of my I, I just really want to see society like get back to our humanity and so forth. So the listening is just so crucial, really a lack of true listening these days. Mm, that's good. If you could effortlessly pick up a new skill in a moment, what would it be? Oh, golf. Okay. <laughs> I should have started playing golf years ago and I stink on ice with golf. I'm with you. I'm with you there, man. It's been beating <laughs> my butt for 20 years, man. And I, I'm still... A sucker for punishment because I still go back to do it. But <laughs> like I do these sports like yeah. uh, basketball and racing cars, of course, basketball at a, you know, I'm almost 59 years old. So basketball is pretty hard. And then and then I get in a race car and it's like, how did I pick a hobby that's like more stressful than even my job, you know? <laughs> so uh, anyway, golf might be stressful, too, probably. And at my level of pitifulness, it really is pretty stressful. Indeed. Well, it's it's. It's a great teacher for sure. It's, it's been yeah. one of the greatest teachers for me. Uh, I, I, when I when I want to interview someone and hire someone, I don't. I have them just come play with me, whether they play or not. It tells you a lot about that person how they mm. handle <laughs> and manage disappointment, how they handle doing something well. Like yep. I learned all that I need to know about an individual. If you just come play golf with me, just a few holes, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find out how well it works. That is really great. Yeah, you're you are definitely playing yourself in right? golf. Like you're your own worst enemy. You're you're yeah. 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 It's a mind game for sure. Well, David, thank you so much for being here. This was a really insightful conversation. Um, congratulations on such a cool career uh, in a world that I know I'm passionate of, and just being at this cool, cool space of like music and technology and. And, and, and supporting the world, you know, it's just really cool. So thank you for being here. This was such a cool conversation. Yeah, great. Thank you. This was awesome. I appreciate it. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. 
The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.